Welcome to the Fit Aviators Club podcast, where aviation, fitness, and mindset meet to improve the balance of your health and quality of life in aviation. This is your host, Fernando Contreras, and let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fit Aviators Club podcast. It has been about a week and a half, and so many exciting things have happened. Everything from sports, we took a trip to Vegas and Zion. Netflix came out with season four of Formula One, Drive to Survive. Formula One season started this Sunday. Awesome, amazing race. But let's get into the schedule for what we're going to talk about today. Mainly, we're going to be talking about what diets work and don't work and we're also going to be talking about what foods I bring with me when I travel that stay pretty well throughout the all four days and also that fulfill my needs of hunger and also uh, calories macronutrients and such so a few weeks ago we went to Vegas to celebrate my one of my best friends bachelor and bachelorette party which we did there. We were in Vegas for two days, had an amazing time. The first day we went out hiking and did a fun trail that led us to um, some thermal waters, which was pretty awesome and beautiful hike. It was a little bit cold, but you know, we all had our proper gear. So that was, that was fine. And then uh, later on that day, we went to go see a short show Cirque du Soleil Mystere at the uh, Treasure Island Hotel. Incredible show we were so fantasized by uh how those performers i mean jess and i were sitting next to each other and just said you know the the body is is a work of art because the way these performers just did these stunts incredible amounts of strength incredible amount of flexibility i mean some of these things that i just didn't think i was like there was a point on the show where i was there's no way she's gonna do that and they, they did that and uh, you know I was like screaming my freaking lungs off of how impressive that was it was really really cool I totally recommend to see a Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas if you uh, get the opportunity I got my tickets through the our airline which has discounts uh, for I, th- I believe it's called tickets at work so if you guys do that you get a pretty good discount and I was able to hook up everybody on the party to uh, have some great seats up front which was awesome then after that, we went partying. We went clubbing at night at Vegas. Always a fun time. Super expensive. But we got a party pass that was only $100 plus tax. It was like 122 But it was well worth it because it got you into a cer- certain clubs in Vegas and actually pool parties as well, which we had planned to do the following day. Uh, so the next day, we did go to a, a pool party. We went to, uh, I forget what it was called, but I think it was the the one at the MGM so uh, uh, Tiesto plays there all the time. I can't remember at the top of my head, but it was a great pool party. However, it was freezing cold. Like that weekend, I don't know, I guess it wasn't supposed to be cold, but it was the opening weekend of everything starting to open up back up in Vegas. And uh, it was it was fun, but it was just a little bit cold. So we, we kind of did our thing there for a little bit and then went um, to go to, do, to walk around, you know, see all the casinos and do all that bunch of fun stuff that there is to do in Vegas. Then uh, my girlfriend and I went and did a day and a half trip to Zion. So the drive was only about two and a half hours, which was uh, pretty quick. We did it late at night, got to the hotel, uh, put all our stuff away. We actually stopped at the grocery store to have uh, like dinner in our room. So we just bought a rostisserie chicken and we bought a bunch of vegetables, some hummus, some salsa. If you guys follow me on Instagram, you saw that story. <laughs> we just laid out all the food there at the hotel made ourselves some good dinner, and then we also had it for the next day and a half of just having food with us at, at all times. We did a hike in Zion. First of all, Zion is extremely beautiful. It was, I mean, it is a canyon that is has outstanding colors, but I do think that it was a little bit more hyped up than I thought it was going to be. We've Jess and I have definitely seen things just like it or even more impressive, and but not to take away from the fact that Zion is a beautiful place and, and it does have really great hiking. So 
we uh, get there. The, the next morning, we wake up, we go do a hike, and we start reading the reviews on this app that we have called All Trails. And this is my, mainly what we use to find out which which of the trails are going to be the best, what we're in the mood for all, all the time, because what we look for usually is like, okay, well, what's the distance and what's the elevation? The shorter the distance with the higher elevation, we kind of go for those because those are probably a little bit harder. Not a little bit, a lot harder. <laughs> so, so we tend to go on those, and we usually go based off what the comments. People, you know, it's kind of like, they leave reviews on all the trails and it's very, very beneficial because in one of the, some of the comments that people did the trail uh, two or two days or or the day before, they recommended to get shoe spikes. And Jess and I have not done hiking with shoe spikes before, so we were kind of new to that. And anyways, the, the name of the trail that we did was Angel's Landing. Awesome trail. Um, and we went to go get shoe spikes, then... We went over to the to the park. Uh, we had to uh, get a, a pay a, an admission to get in. I believe it was like thirty dollars. And then we went to go to the to the hike. Now there's this part where you, once you enter the park, and I'm sure you guys are familiar uh, if you've been there. But if you haven't, once you enter the park, there's not that many hikes to do unless you take the scenic drive. And when that scenic drive gets like um, full that they can't let any more cars in because there's no parking or anything they close it down until like a few hours so if you don't make it there early in the morning you're pretty much out of luck but we kind of had a little bit of luck that day and it, we only had to wait two hours we did another hike really quickly that took us about uh, an hour and a half got back into our car and went towards that scenic drive and it was open so then we just went to the angels landing uh trail so awesome i took a photo of the beginning part of the trail and i just like oh yeah well let's just document you know where what trail we did and so much fun right we start you know it's, it starts off with like these steep switchbacks as you go up and yeah i mean i think you go up maybe 500 maybe 600 feet um in switchbacks and then as we get up a little bit higher it starts getting a little bit icier we still don't think we need the spikes yet we're able to manage through and then and then the trail becomes it, it gets to this open area where it just becomes from like nice easy going gradual steep hike to a narrow more technical with ice hold chains kind of hike <laughs> you know and it was it was a lot of fun but there was this part where there were chains and I was like okay well maybe I don't need these chains right now because you know it's not there's no ice there's plenty of area here that if I that if I do you know like misstep or something like that I can catch myself I didn't think it was dangerous at that point so there I am hiking, being all technical, you know, like hiking up the trail and just using pure balance that I trained with at the gym, pure leg, you know, um, strength and just getting myself through this trail without the use of these chains. And it was great. But then it came to a part where it did start getting icy and we put our shoe spikes on and it got very narrow. And this is where I was like, OK, I'm going to have to hold the chains because it was a very narrow path, a tad bit icy. And the cliff off to our left was a cliff down about 1,700 feet or something like that. And then you just had to your right hand the the chains to hold on for the trail. Now, granted, yes, I did. I did obviously hold the chains when there when it was very narrow, but it, we kept our pace. Jess and I kept our pace going fast you know even technical but fast and that's one of the great things about her and I that when we go hiking it's just like we're we're cautious obviously but we don't want to stop that momentum that we have and it's challenging both mentally and physically because it's cold and you're kind of like okay well I need to get up there really quick so we can finally see it and then come back down to get a little bit warmer right but the, you can't rush you can't rush your hiking based on that because mistakes are made and errors are committed so you know, it, it's, it takes a certain amount of critical thinking and also, you know, physical endurance to just continue through that trail as efficiently as possible. And it was a, a ton of fun. Anyways, we get to the top, beautiful, beautiful scenery, come back down and we get on with our day. We do another hike and we go, we go back uh, to Vegas to catch our flight back to, to Miami. 
looking over the pictures and I look at the angels landing picture and you know, I, I should have read this, but it said angels landing X amount of people have died since 2004 because of the cliff and the technicality of this, uh, trail, uh, do not do it when it's icy. Do not do it when it's, you know, obviously there were there were a ton of people there. So the ice wasn't that much of a concern. But it also said don't do it when there's strong crosswind and don't do it when there's uh, when there's rain. And, you know, next time I'm, I'm probably going to read those those uh, signs a little bit better because, you know, wh- where I didn't hold the chains, it's fu- it, it was fine. Trust, like it, it was totally fine. But, you know, I, I could see how in those narrow points when the wind did hit if it hit a lot stronger i could see you getting knocked out out of balance and that is that is a dangerous one and that kind of fuels our adrenaline which we love that you know so it was a ton of fun but anyways moving on vegas and zion were amazing formula one season started this past sunday what an incredible race uh especially for ferrari getting the pole uh, the number one and number two positions there, and also for Hamilton coming in third. If you watch Formula One, if you are a fan, it's a uh, it's a very interesting sport in the race car uh, area. But you know the way the the way things ended last year with Formula One and the way they started, it was amazing. Max and Charles did phenomenal at going back and forth between second and first place. They had a really great battle. Lewis Hamilton coming back. I think I believe he started fifth and came back in third. The pit stops and the strategies were all good. Obviously, Red Bull had some some technical issues there with their engines. And then uh, Pierre Gasly's uh, car engine caught on fire. Good thing he's okay. Everything's fine. But it's just crazy how with Formula One, it's just so unpredictable. You know, very unpredictable. Red Bull ended last year with, you know, obviously Max being the world champion. And now this year starting off with a stalled engine. Who knows what happened? I don't know. But it was pretty much on the last last laps, both Red Bulls. And that was uh, that was kind of kind of interesting to see because the, the way the, car, the cars are made this year is to be more competitive amongst all the drivers, which is great because we saw that between Max and Charles. Charles is one of my favorite drivers, so awesome for Ferrari, and it was it was cool. It had me jumping, it had me screaming, <laughs> I had a blast. And then also MotoGP started two weeks, I think it was like two, two and a half weeks ago. Their second race was this Sunday too, but it was like at three in the morning in Indonesia, and I was I was not gonna wake up for that. But MotoGP drivers, uh, they're they're pretty talented athletes as well. You know, when my friends and I get together, we like to discuss, you know, technical aspects of what makes someone an athlete, what makes somebody athletic. And one of the questions that I brought up a couple of months ago was, who do you think is more athletic, a MotoGP driver or an F1 driver? And in my opinion, in my opinion, I think a MotoGP driver is a, is more athletic or more of an athlete in that. More athletic, I would say, uh, because an athlete is specifically to what sport you're in. But, you know, F1 drivers, they sustain higher Gs than a MotoGP driver. And, you know, cutting through those corners, doing about 57 laps in an F1 car, the amount of the amount that you sweat and the endurance that you must have is incredible. So for sure, they are they are athletes. MotoGP drivers, their races are a little bit shorter. But if you if you see MotoGP races before, these are the fastest motorcycles that you can that are out there, and there are, I think, I believe it's like 30-something drivers. I don't remember quite right. But these guys take a motorcycle, and they go, they have to maneuver this motorcycle in sync with their body. So it's not only a motorcycle-to-body connection, but it's also how you maneuver and handle this motorcycle while you're doing 160-plus during in a you know, in a turn or in a straightaway, coming from a straightaway into a turn, these guys put their knees and elbows all the way to the track, cutting into that corner as close as possible to then come out of that corner, accelerate and shift their weight and motorcycle at the same time to not lose, to to have the least amount of drag possible and just keep cutting, you know, keep going through the track as fast as you can. And some of these turns are not, are, are one right after the other. So you're constantly taking that bike putting all that weight on it, you know, coming back up, shifting weight, shifting the motorcycle. It was, it's, it's, it's phenomenal to see. These guys are, are, 
truly athletic as well. Um, so in my opinion, I think MotoGP drivers are more athletic. F1 drivers are very athletic too, but I think MotoGP is more. So let's get into the the diet portion of the podcast and the foods that I like to bring uh, with me. So, you know, I, th- there's this question that I always get asked a lot. It's, you know, what diet do you do? What helps you? What diet do you do to keep you, you know, with your physique and your athletic ability and this? And I'm not going to start. I'm not going to answer that question yet. I'm going to answer it a little bit after what I have to say about why diets don't work long term. And there is a dilemma. There's a dilemma that I've came across people who try a diet and it doesn't work. And the dilemma is that they tried it and then they came off it and they went back to what they were. And if you think about it, well, they started that diet for a reason initially. So the main concern is addressing what was it or why was it that they started that diet? And where did they get their information from? Who advised them of that? And it's rare that you come across someone that has sustained a diet. They say they've sustained a diet for a long time. And in my opinion, a a sustained diet is a nutritional lifestyle that you have adopted as part of your life. And it works for you. So nutritional habits. Diets actually haven't been associated as properly as they should be. And the term has been used a lot for marketing and has caused a ton of psychological effects. So if you think if you think about it, diets in the old days before social media was out, before the fitness industry was huge, right? You used to think, hey, a doctor or a dietitian is advising a patient to restrict some sort of food, okay? Or to reduce a risk of a disease, most commonly a cardiovascular disease. But nowadays, all right, diets are associated with restrictions for physical appearance and emotional belongings. And you often get you often get the, oh, you're doing this diet too? Oh, wow, great. And then all of a sudden, you feel like there's there's like this uh, compatibility between you, like this whole like, oh, you're doing this, I'm doing this too. Oh, wow, yeah, let's let's feed off each other, let's learn off each other. And while that is very, very great and you have something in common with someone, you're actually fulfilling one of the human needs of belonging. And when two people find something in common together, they get that need fulfilled. It makes whatever got them to get along a whole lot stronger. So in this case, the diet gets reinforced because it created a sense of belonging between people based on what others are doing. And and thus the marketing gets even better. So don't get me wrong. Uh, Look, I, I... believe that all these diets have a specific purpose and what i mean by that is that if somebody has an intolerance to a certain nutrient they should be on a diet a diet not restricting them from something but figuring out different ways on how to consume or how to be nutritionally educated to be able to eat the right things and for you not to have inflammation for you to not be eating things that you're intolerant to to things that you know may make you progress you know in in performance you know so what what I'm trying to say is that you need to seek out proper advice and proper guidance so i wouldn't recommend that you hop in a diet and you don't you don't know what you're getting into you i wouldn't recommend hopping into something because people have done and they have had great results. I wouldn't recommend on a diet because they have you've seen it on the Insta, on, on on the internet and it's fulfilling that need of yours that you want to look a certain way or feel a certain way. But what you really truly don't know is from those people that you see it, you may you may not know what their body's going through and if they have shown any effects of it and even if they've come yet. And you and, and moreover, you don't know how that's going to affect you unless so, so what I'm what I would recommend is that if you do want to hop into some sort of diet, and what I like to call better a new changing a nutritional habit for a healthy lifestyle, is that you seek out professional guidance, such as from a registered dietitian 
or from a nutritionist or even from your doctor who they who they will eventually refer you to an RD or a nutritionist. So when people ask me, hey, what's your diet? I respond to them that I don't have one. I just have good nutritional habits. I carry out a healthy, balanced lifestyle that fortunately in my childhood, my mother taught me all these benefits and things about what eating healthy is is all about. She showed me these good habits during my childhood and where, you know, we didn't have like soda at the house. We were we were allowed to have it at parties or when people came over and we went over their house. So we weren't extremely restricted, but we were, you know, we we got watched we we were watching how much of it we were intaking. Fast food, right? I mean, you got to experience fast food, but it's not like we had it all the time. As a matter of fact, I think my parents only, we only did one day a week and they, in which they would take us to either Burger King or McDonald's. And that was after doing something like, you know, going out on the trail or something or playing soccer or whatever it was. And it wasn't just like, hey, we've been sitting at home all day. Let's go get some Burger King, right? Um, my mom would always like t- teach us my sister and I, she would always teach us like, hey, okay, well, you need to make sure you eat all these nutrients because these are important for, you know, healthy life. This gives you strong bones. This gives you strong this, strong that. This helps you reinforce energy. This helps you. And, you know, it wasn't like I was getting a, a master's degree <laughs> during my childhood in, in nutrition because, you know, it wasn't like that. But it was a, a fun, healthy way on how to understand the, the importance of of nutrition and to eat healthy and not have those bad habits so i carried that through i carried that through as i grew up and and i carried it ever since and i applied it to my pilot lifestyle and i've lo- i've learned and understood even more the importance of, of nutrition and what they do for your body and also the appropriate quantity and quality i'm sorry quality of food for my lifestyle. However, I'm not certified as a nutritionist or anything like that. So if I were to change something up in my eating habits to achieve a a specific goal, I would obviously go and consult a registered dietitian or a nutritionist. But a lot of, a lot of the information that I have known is obviously researched through studies and articles and obviously following specific doctors and, and so forth. I mean, it's been on my whole life that I've been around this stuff. So I'm obviously passionate about it and things always change. But it's it's for me, it's fascinating to keep up with it because it just goes to show that there's not one right way, just like there is for, for training. There isn't one way for training. There are multiple and multiple ways for training, and they all give you a specific uh, result. And it's the same thing for with food. So, you know, what I have seen, though, is is that some people and and I don't mean to I don't want to come off as offensive or anything like that. But I, what I have seen is that some people are are too fanatic of some of these diets and they believe in it so much that that they think that what they're doing is the best and that everything else is not like as good. So they should do what they're doing. So that other people should do what they're doing. And I think that that's a little bit too extreme. Because again, certain nutritional habits don't work for everybody. Uh, you know, someone once told me, and, and I was kind of shocked by this, but somebody said carbohydrates have no essential something. No, no it aren't essential for you. And, uh, you know, my first thought wasn't that like, wow, this person doesn't know what they're talking about it was that that this person may may be in so deep in in a diet that they believe in it so much that are they disregarding the the importance of what a carbohydrate does for you and so i kind of went in and i started looking online i'm like oh wow so are carbohydrates really not that essential because in my certifications and what i have as a personal trainer everything that i've learned about carbohydrates is that it is important okay so where where i believe that the miss uh, i guess understanding of some of this stuff is is that 
if you don't consume carbohydrates, your body is able to make glucose or, or that source of energy out of other substrates, such as fats and proteins. Fats through a ketosis and proteins through deaminations, or which is the, the gluconeogenesis, taking protein and reversing, like taking it through a process in which it converts to glucose so it can actually be used for energy consumption, right? So I'm thinking, well, why would, why would anybody want to have such low amount of carbohydrates that they have to go to fats and proteins for energy source? Obviously, okay, obviously I think that's that relates to the keto diet, but that obviously relates too to physical appearance. And these diets that, re, that reduce significantly a certain amount of a macronutrient so that you you get to a goal in a certain amount of time and that's that's fine that's fine because everybody for a certain amount of time does change their diet to to either achieve a performance or to achieve a physical as as long as you know that it's not a sustainable thing it is an obtainable thing meaning yes you consume less carbs you do this, you do that, you're going to get to this. You're going to use fat for fuel. Yes, it's probably a little bit more efficient of a burn because it is more dense and it does use the oxidative process to be able to use it for fuel. But you're going to be lacking in certain areas of performance, okay? Especially if you if you train, you know, you, you can't hold this for a sustained amount of time. And while your body can make energy or sorry use energy from different substrates such as protein and fats each macronutrient so you have protein fats and carbohydrates each of those macronutrients have an important role in which they play in and their roles are designated for a specific purpose so for for protein its primary role is not for energy production it's for muscle synthesis to keep muscle mass to develop muscle mass all right then you have fats, which our primary role is to develop and is to is to be used for energy. But it goes through a different metabolic process than what carbohydrates use. Fats need oxygen for them to metabolize in a process called beta oxidation. So in that process, if the, if the supply of oxygen is not meeting the demand, you're going to hit a wall. You're not going to have the required amount of what your cells can use for energy because you're in an anaerobic state, in a state where you need energy without the supply of oxygen. So that's when carbohydrates come in, and the metabolic processes of um, adenosine triphosphate, I think it's uh, phosphocreatine, ATPPC, and then also it's your glycolysis metabolic pr process, in which they do use glucose as a form of energy in an anaerobic state. Once you're oxygen demand can meet, sorry, once your oxygen supply can meet your oxygen demand, then you transfer into the oxidative system where you do burn fat. So it really all depends because yes, athletes do use keto diets at some point. I've heard of them that they use that, but they've only done it for a very small amount of time. And that's to get their body transitioning into something else. That is not their sustained way of going through a whole entire season or training during the off season. Okay. Carbohydrates are important. The quality and the quantity of those carbohydrates and when it's going to be used for is very important as well. And actually there are studies that show the reduced carbohydrate diets can impair both maximal effort during high intensity exercise and performance in specific sports or trainings. Now, these, these studies I learned from the National Academy of Sports Medicine, which I have my certifications from, okay? But that just, that just goes to show that carbohydrates are important because carbohydrates provide that anaerobic uh, energy for your cells to use and for you to perform. So, yes, while carbohydrates are not an essential to live, they are important to maintain a sustainable way of living. If you if you're constantly in a in a state of ketosis or something like that, that's not that's not sustainable. At least from my experience that I have seen others, every 100% of the people who have tried those diets are back are back to where they started. And sometimes 
you go back even more aggressive. You, you could probably gain that same weight again and even more because the thing that you did psychologically, this is the most important part. Psychologically, it, you got to, you didn't get to where you want to be feeling physically. You probably look great, but man, remember it's always mind over body. And if psychologically you're not there physically, you're not going to be able to hold it. You're going to get to a point and, and you know, it, it can get pretty, pretty dark on that road battling between your psychological and your physical, but just understand that it's always more important to be able to be just happier with the way that you're living, the way that you're eating and not being constantly restricted. There's, there's obviously so much more that goes into it. And that's why it kind of, I, that's why I'm just kind of like touching the water, like just a tiny bit. Cause I don't want to get too much deep into this. You know, I am also a certified intervention coach and the, what we've learned on what I have learned from the psychological aspect, I was actually certified from, uh, the Ramis Madonis training Institute where Tony Robbins and Chloe Madonis, Mark and Magali Pesha have an Institute in where we get certified as intervention coaches. And we go through deep understanding and deep learning of the psychological aspects that can be applied to anything. And obviously I apply it to fitness. It's not the same thing as like a psychologist, or psychiatrist. It's just, it's a little bit different, right? It, it, the intervention has to do with not only what's going on with you, but with you and everything around you that's causing human behavior to be a certain way. So ultimately what I want to, you know, the, the message that I'm trying to get to you is that if you have found something that's worked for you, that, that, that doesn't mean you need to shove it down people's throats. Okay, that, that doesn't mean you need to tell them that, that what you're doing is the best and, hey, try this, because ultimately you don't know how that's going to affect them physically and you don't know how that's going to affect them psychologically. However, this is the message for the people who are receiving those kinds of opinions or advice is that whatever, whenever somebody tells you something about a diet or anything like that or a supplement, do your research before even starting it. Consult a professional in their opinion, because they're going to take and they're going to look at the overall picture and then they're going to tell you if if it's worth for you to go through that or not. Then you also must think of it like on the psychological aspect. Is it worth it for you or not mentally? And it, it really all comes down to that. Because at the end of the day, you want to have nutritional habits that align with your lifestyle towards a healthy lifestyle. So yes, you do want to be able to enjoy the things that you crave sometimes. Yes, you do want to make sure you keep an eye on how many calories you're consuming. Yes, you want to keep an eye on how much fats or macronutrients or protein you're consuming. A little bit too much of everything is bad anyway. So it just all depends. It, it all depends on how your body is genetically made, how your body is you know, going to adapt to these certain diets. I'll give you an example of the intermittent fasting, which is a very popular thing now. And I truly do believe that this is one of the most, if not the most beneficial nutritional or habit that you can, you can have. So I started researching on it before I even started it. I, at the time I was a first officer and a captain recommended it to me. I saw a documentary and I was like, I was, I was lacking on energy. Okay. I was, I was, I was tired all the time. I went training and I kept being tired and I ate right. And I just kept being tired. So this captain was like, Hey, have you heard of intermittent fasting before? You know, there's this process that happens with your cells. I can't forget. I can't remember what the name of it is, but when you, you leave a certain amount of time of not ingesting food and not activating your metabolism, your cells go in a process of repair mode, if you were to say, and then they repair and then they multiply a little bit more with more repaired coating. So, you know, I, I thought of like, wow, that's actually really beneficial. I kind of want to do this, this diet just based on that. Like, and then I started reading that it improves your energy levels, that it's good for certain diseases and everything. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is great. I talked to my parents about it. My mom actually does this and her blood work and everything has improved significantly over the amount over the past five years and she and she keeps doing it and it's great so she found something that she 
is sustainable with. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And so I did. And the first, like, he was like, dude, I don't recommend you do this when you're flying. And I was like, too late, man. He's like, don't go hangry on me. you know. <laughs> and, and I truly was, I truly was going hangry. Like I just went into it like one right after the other. I, I didn't do a gradual fasting. So then I was like, okay, this is too much. The next day after that, I started doing more gradual and I started reading, okay, well, there's 12 hour windows and where you can eat 12 hour windows where you fast, you can drop that to 14, 10, or you can drop down to 16, eight. And so I was like, okay, well, let me, the most popular one, 16, eight, right? Let's see, let's see what this does. I really think that fasting for a little bit longer will help with the whole energy and being able to use that. And then obviously keeping your insulin levels low, you know, your body enters into, into the fast and you're using fat for fuel. Okay, cool. So mind you, I did do a lot of research on this before I started it. So a couple of months go by in the beginning, I felt wow, to have all this energy, this is great. Like, yeah, of course, because, you know, my body is adapting to something different. One, two, it's using, you know, uh, fat for fuel, which is great. And then, yeah, I, I, I had an incredible amount of energy. I, I was, it was fun. It was fine. I was like, okay, this could be a very sustainable, like a month or two passed by, or no, actually I lied, like three to three to in the th three to six month period, I started feeling tired again. And I'm like, damn, this isn't working. Like what's going on? What's going on? And my girlfriend, Jess pointed out to me that she was like, look, I don't think you're consuming enough calories. And more specifically, I don't think you're consuming enough carbohydrates. And I was like, nah, no, nah, I do. I do. And then I started looking at <clears throat> what I pack and it is, and she was totally right. I didn't, I was lacking a lot of carbohydrates. I was lacking a lot of calories, even though I packed healthy meals, I wasn't getting enough. I wasn't getting enough calories in to sustain the one, my basal metabolic rate, which is the energy that you consume for you just to live. If you're sitting down, not doing anything, your basal metabolic rate is what your energy, your body requires for energy. And then plus my daily activity, plus my workouts, Usually on average, I'm averaging about 2,800 to 3,100 3, calories a day. And with what I take on my meal preps, I'm nowhere near that. So I was like, damn, you know, and fasting on top of that, I was even having less calories. So of course, once that wave of like my body was adapted, something else stopped, it got, I felt even worse. I felt even more tired. And it, in the beginning, it wasn't that, you know, I was kind of doing the opposite. I was, I was actually taking away a meal or two a day so I can fast and I was consuming even less calories. So then when I, when I wrapped my head around that, I was like, well, I have two options. Either I can consume 3000 calories in an eight hour window, or I have to do a 12, 12, 12, 12 hour fast, 12 hour eating window. So I tried, I tried to consume about 3000 calories in an eight hour window. And if you've ever tried that, that's pretty complicated. The amount of stuff that you have to add on your meals that are quality because you just don't want to shove Big Macs down your throat to, to get to 3,100 calories, calories. You know, you, the quality obviously is a huge factor here. So I was like, yeah, there's, I'm like putting olive oil. I'm throwing in cheese. I'm throwing in avocado to all my meals and this. And, you know, honestly, trying to pack 3,000 calories a day for a four-day trip it doesn't fit. It does not fit. So what I had to do was I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have an extra meal every day and lower, uh, or a meal or two. And I'm going to lower it to 12 hours a day of fasting and 12 hours of eating. And that, that's kind of like, okay, well, I don't have to shove so much food in one sitting, right? That I didn't feel comfortable doing that because I just felt like I was just too full. You know, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't feel agile. I didn't feel like I was quick or fast. So I didn't really like it. I went to 12, 12 and I, it actually started feeling a lot better, but I'm still, I was still having a little bit of trouble uh, consuming that amount of calories. However, I do stick to 12, 12 and I started increasing the amount of, of calories that I have and my energy levels went perfect and they have sustained ever since. It's been about like a year and a half, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. Like closer to like two years and my energy levels are, are good. 
and I now know that when I'm starting to feel fatigued and everything, it's because of the lack of calories. Like there's a point where your body tells you, know, we have a 4, 4 a.m. van, 5.30 departure, and we're starting to fly. Like I haven't had a single bite to eat yet, right? And I'll, what I usually do is like I wait. I try to wait until after we get to cruising altitude. But sometimes your hunger cues hit you differently. Like if you ate really well the day before, you can probably last until then, or at least me. But if you ate not so well the day before, like you didn't get enough calories in, your body is going to start asking you for food like at 4.30, like as soon as you wake up, right? As soon as you get downtime, like you sit, you got everything set up on the with the pre-flight, you sit down, that's when it's going to hit you. Or at least it does to me. And man, if I don't have like a banana or something, please don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I Now I, I know exactly what my hangry cues are. Obviously, I keep it professional and and whatever, but you know, I uh, I know that that food like that is is that crucial to me for my metabolism and for my training. So, what I want to share with you is is obviously I tried it. There was trial and error there, but you know, I I with the knowledge that I have. And the research that I did, I was able to figure out more information and be able to adapt and change what I was doing and not stay in a in a constant, you know, feeling kind of like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I should still be restricting this because this makes me, you know, this and it's supposed to give me more energy. Just I was going to eventually go to a registered dietitian or a, or a nutritionist and just ask for their opinion on you know what I'm doing wrong and and Jess if it wasn't for Jess pointing that out you know I would that thing wouldn't have clicked and and Jess is certified as a personal trainer and, a, a, and as a nutritionist as well so you know her advice I take very very seriously and it, it worked it was it was uh, pretty good so okay now time to share with you guys some information in regards to the foods that keep me full and help me avoid snacking. So eating whole, you know, whole foods, not not the supermarket, but but whole foods like that contain the each macronutrient, you know, such as uh, eating eating a meal, right? Eating a meal that will ha- that has a good quality and quantity of food. It, it plays a major role in psychological and physical results right having nutrients nutrient dense foods will keep you satiated a lot longer than snacking and if you've ever wondered why is it that you snack when you're not even hungry you know that has to do with how an individual again this is when you're not hungry okay why do you snack when you're not hungry and it has to do with how the individual and what they value for their human needs, and what role does snacking play in obtaining that need. So, as I mentioned to you before, I I am certified as an intervention coach, and sometimes for some of my clients, I often find that snacking fulfills more than one human need, and and eventually it becomes a necessity to fulfill that need. So they they go to something which is the snack, and they fulfill that sne- that need because they are doing the snacking okay for each client it's the what it does what the snacking provides for them is obviously totally different but it it fulfills that need and as you fulfill those needs there could be extra calories that are being consumed and that may not help with your goals so it definitely gets deeper with an intervention but i hope at least you can get, put a different perspective on on snacking sometimes when you're not even hungry you know i'm guilty of doing that i catch myself most of the time when I'm about to go snack because I know what need I need fulfilled right there and then, okay? And I this happened because I used to do I used to do it. I used to go to a snack when I knew that this specific need of mine needed to get, you know, uh, fulfilled. And I was like, why am I why am I even eating this if I'm not you know if I'm not hungry? And then with the intervention you know coaching that I have, um, the course that I took a while back. It all clicked. It all clicked there. So I've obviously now more aware of snacking. And it's actually helped me 
keep my hunger cues more in line with with my lifestyle. Because for me, since I have such a fast metabolism and my training is pretty pretty demanding of energy. So snacking does not provide me that nutritional value that I need when I'm hungry. I will I will snack again like 30 minutes later. So depending on what I snack on, it will it, it'll help me last a little bit longer or not. And when I eat these foods that I that I you know technically would call that I'm snacking is almost like a meal because I'm trying to have all three macronutrients in that in that snack. Obviously it's not a meal because it's not as it's not the the quantity is not that much. So for example, when I snack, I'll have a full on avocado. I'll have some. Uh, what, what, what else would I? Oh, I would have an apple with peanut butter, and then I would also have either a boiled boiled eggs that I carry with me, and there I got fats, carbohydrates, and protein. Now that's that is almost like a meal, but not really to me. To me, at least, because in terms of amount of calories and everything. Right. So that would be that's what a, a snack for me would be. And and I already mentioned some of those foods there. So let's get into some more uh, some more that I have here on this list. And obviously, obviously, obviously the portions vary per person. But some of the foods that I take with me that help me stay satiated is avocados, legumes, animal protein, almonds, pistachios and boiled eggs. Those are the four or five that I can come up with pretty quickly here on this list. But, you know, things, if you, if I start snacking on low calorie foods, I'm just like, it's like continuous picking at these snacks. And it's just like, it's going to take forever for me to feel satiated, right? As opposed to if you have a snack, like how I mentioned before. So, uh, for the avocados, what I do is when I go to the grocery store, the way that I pack them, when I go to the grocery store, I pick out, if it's a four day trip, I'll pick four. And then I'll pick one that's ripe, pretty much almost ready to go. Another one that will probably be good in a day. And then two or th- two, two like that. And then the last one I'll pick kind of like that's kind of hard so that I know by the fourth that by the third day I can consume it the next day. Um, if sometimes my avocados, do, they do start going bad, a little bad. What I do is I just leave them in the fridge. But here's the thing. I leave them in the fridge at home if I know they're going bad and I wouldn't even take them on my trip. I'll try to buy it out. But if you go, if you take an avocado and you put it in the fridge and out the fridge, and then you get back to your hotel, you put it back in the fridge, it's going to go bad three times as fast. So try to avoid huge temperature changes with avocados, obviously still in their shell. You don't, you don't want to open it and for it to start oxidizing and you get all those little spots all over the avocados. Legumes, what I usually go to for legumes, first of all, these are cheap way of getting a carbohydrate, uh, and protein ratio. It's a high protein to to carbohydrate ratio. So it's better than consuming like rice, right? Rice has barely any protein in it. Not as much as legumes do, I think. But um, they're they're often pretty cheap. You can buy a whole bag of legumes or lentils, uh, chickpeas, you know, uh, beans, those those kinds of, of, of foods. And, you know, you can get a bag for like two bucks, three bucks there. I obviously not everybody can consume these. They are they they do have properties to them that can cause inflammation, that can cause people to be intolerant to some of these things. Always, always, always check first, you know, with with a professional to see if these foods, you know, obviously you could try them. If you see if you're not reacting well to it, obviously don't, con- don't continue. But um, you also kind of want to see if you're allergic to any of these types of food. Animal protein, um, at, for me, it's very essential. I, I like to balance out all my macronutrients. And animal proteins are what, what give you, in one single source, they give you a full, complete protein meaning it has the essential and non-essential. I believe there's nine essential proteins and 11 non-essential proteins. With legumes, it's mostly non-essential unless you combine them with something else. Not, not, that's not an animal product. So I, I believe if you, if you mix 
like rice and beans, you're most likely getting more of a complete protein, a complete source of all proteins there. But animal animal protein is the one that gives you the most and it's richest and it's more dense in that in those kinds of protein. So almonds, pistachios too. Almonds and pistachio have a great ratio between protein and healthy fats. So that's really good too. I like to consume almonds and pistachios one because they're they are more satiating, right? And two, they they the way fats oxidize in your body, the way they metabolize is through the your oxidative system. So that means that your body needs oxygen to be able to me- metabolize fats. Okay? So because your body needs oxygen, your body must not be in a demand for oxygen. So usually when you're sitting, chilling, that's when your body gets the chance to use fat for energy. And so that's why it it benefits you to eat healthy fats when you're flying because you're not in a state of anaerobic. You're in a state of aerobic metabolism. Your, Your demand for oxygen is meeting the oxygen supply that is being given to your body. And you use fat for energy. So it's Obviously, the amount of fat that you consume, now, you don't want to think of it as like, oh, I need to consume fat because this is what, you know, most efficiently burns when I'm sitting. But also keep in mind the amount of calories that those bring. Fats are the highest gram amount per calorie, which is nine. So being conscious of how much you're consuming to how your body is efficiently burning through them and not having an excess of. So hopefully uh, you got some, some great uh, points today and, and some different ways of seeing what nutritional habits are and, and certain diets and about reaching out to people who are professional in this. But I want to conclude this episode as always check with a nutrition professional before beginning some sort of nutritional change. You just never know how it's going to affect you, how it's going to affect your body. And also always try to do some research from trusted sources when beginning something new, even if it's at the gym or if it's with nutrition, and if anything ever feels too restrictive or not sustainable, then don't continue it. You know you you made a change for a reason initially, and there are other ways to get about and continue with that change. Not It's not about a dilemma, because it's not a healthy lifestyle when it's about a dilemma. There's always more options. You can always figure out a different way how to obtain what you want. So don't be stuck in that dilemma because there's always more than two options. So if you guys like more information, you can follow and visit the website on fitaviatorsclub.com. Follow me on Instagram, YouTube at fitaviatorsclub.com. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode.